I had lost a lot of my memory. And my, my daughter, actually, and my children said, you know, you wanted to write all your life. I would suggest you. I said, how can I do this? I can't remember. And so they, you know, my daughter worked with me for a long time, and she said, you can do this. So I started putting it on paper, and as I exercised, and you do mental things as well, I realized it was all coming back. And so that's what really got me starting, Tony. You know, that's what got the, the juices flowing. But I was a late-in-life writer. Even though I had done newsletters and I had done other things that had been published, you know, before, this was real novel writing. Hi, this is Stephanie Fallon. And this is Tony Russo. And you're listening to another episode of So What's Your Story? A podcast in which we talk to authors and writers about their writing, their stories behind the story, the writing process, and any other sort of miscellaneous writing stuff that we want to talk about. Today on the podcast, we have Bonnie Feldstein, a fiction novelist who pens under the name Anna Gill. Bonnie was born and raised in northern New Jersey to parents of Irish and French descent. An affinity for the salt life may have lured her down the shoreline from the beaches of New Jersey to coastal Maryland, but it also lit a creative spark and features heavily in her writing. Bonnie has published several novels. The last several include The Tale of Dickie Short, The Island Woman, A Chesapeake Story, and her most recent novel, The Dream Lives On. In her novels, set against landscapes from Maine to Maryland, the female protagonists face social and relationship challenges and must navigate their way to calmer waters. So welcome to the podcast, Bonnie. Thank you. I'm glad to be here, Stephanie. Well, we're delighted to have you. And I think probably the first thing is we're going to be calling you Bonnie throughout probably the podcast, but you're better known as Anna Gill. That is your pen name. Mm -hmm. And that actually comes from a place that's kind of near and dear to your heart. Yes. I get asked that question all the time. It was my grandmother's name. Actually, the Gill was shortened from Gillespie. But um, I found out much later on that the Gill clan in Ireland were the storytellers. So it just kind of happened. I stumbled into it. It. Well, that seems pretty natural then. <laughs> so how did you how did you decide that you wanted to take a pen name? Is that something? Um, I just felt in honor to my grandmother. I was the only granddaughter she ever knew, and she was the only grandparent I ever knew. And she always was. She was from a long ago generation, mm-hmm. and, but she knew that someday I would possibly go on to do something creative. She could feel it that way. So I thought this would be a way to honor her. Oh, that's interesting because a lot of times people people like you know I'm 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 a doctor so I'm going to write medical things and I don't want people to confuse me but this is like more of an honorarium than mm-hmm. uh, than a regular. It's very personal. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. awesome. I, and I think this might be you might be the first pen name that we've had on the the podcast. I think everybody else just kind of goes by their by their by their normal role. <laughs> is that do do you find that hard? Do you do you find um, that being known publishing wise as you know, the name on the book being Anna Gill, do you find that difficult when you're going to do publicity or when, uh, do you find that it's hard or did it just kind of comes no. easy? It's something I've always wondered. Well, it was at first until I sort of hit the groove of how to do it. And I do a lot of public speaking. Okay. And when I live in Rochester, New York now, so when I do public speaking, everyone knows who I am because I've been very involved in the community up there with hospitals and organizations. So when I started writing, I just introduced myself, or if I'm doing a, p- a public uh, press release, I do Bonnie Feldstein. Writing is Anna Gill. It okay. just It just kind of softens it takes that away. Kind yeah. of rolls right off the tongue at that mm-hmm. point, Ben. Right. Gotcha. And now in today's reading, you read poetry? 
But then you moved on to fiction. Is that... Well, the poetry was part of uh, who the island woman uh, is. I mean, she it's based on a real person uh, who lives on Smith Island. Uh, I see. And she was um, not formally educated, but probably the most educated woman I've ever met. And if you know some of these folks and these people that are watermen or the wives, you will know they really understand life in a different perspective than any of us could. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. We had a lady on the podcast. Uh, she was from Dorchester County, and she was telling this story. And I just watched her tell this story, and it blew Tony's mind. But she was talking about how, you know, on uh, Elliot Island, sort of, you know, mm-hmm. these island folks are just sort of made of tougher stuff. And there was like this thing where this guy had to go to the hospital, or maybe they were bringing a baby back. They were bringing back. the baby home, and they had to hook the car up to horses. To an ox. To an ox. Oh, That's hook- even better. Yes. Yeah, and so Tony was like, wait, they held the car up to an ox. And she was like, yeah. And it was... Cars and oxen working together. Yeah. So, you know, when you talk about the island people being sort of special and having this sort of, sort of a uniqueness in in all sorts of ways, like I can tell. Well, there's an Americana and there's a tapestry that's woven. Uh, I'm a historian by nature. I love history and I travel extensively to do my research. But here it was a labor of love. It was 45 years I've been coming here. So I've I've sort of woven myself as a Jersey girl into the actual people of the Eastern Shore. And I, when I began to write, it was my goal to become their voice. And uh, the water... The water world, as I put it, uh, of the watermen, the, the oystermen, it's coming to an end. There's no question it will not it will not sustain for much longer for many reasons. There's a perfect storm going on, so it's cultural and it's it's uh, family. You know, the kids don't want to go out on the water because it's not as um, economically feasible as it was. But I sort of start with, um, in my studies from Jamestown to today on the Eastern Shore, because that's really who discovered the, uh, the waterways was John Smith. Many people don't know that. He was our greatest water explorer of the East Coast. And, uh, when he, after he established the Jamestown Fort and secured it, there were other colonies, little groups that started to, you know, to be formed. And he sort of took off and he went up the coast. Uh, and he came in, of course, when he saw the Chesapeake blew his mind. Can you imagine that as an explorer seeing this huge body of water? And at that time, there were many, many islands today of which only inhabit two, Tangier and Smith. But they were called the, Rus- uh, the Russell Islands. And uh, through time, it, they've sunken or they've disappeared. Or the cultures have moved to mainland. And some have gone to Tangier if they're on the Virginia side or Smith on the Maryland side. And I always thought it was magical. And, and then I went and lived on uh, Smith Island for a week. And... I could not believe, A, how they live, the courage they have, the stamina for what they do, and it's a totally different approach to life. So I, I imagined the island woman, and through, through the voice and the words of this woman, who's become my dear, dear, dear friend, Janice Marshall, and her family, the whole Marshall family, they're an extraordinary group of people down there in the Tylerton, and they they taught me what it's like to be isolated 
And right. that's what where the story really begin, you know, starts. But but it's through the eyes of a very young girl who has been orphaned. And she's now in her 30s, who's a very famous romance writer. And she needs one more story. And she, by happenstance, meets Miss Francis's daughter in Washington. And so the story evolves from there. Gotcha. Well, yeah, I would, when you're talking about the, they taught you how to be isolated, I would think coming from northern New Jersey <laughs> and then finding the isolation of Smith Island, I would think that would be sort of shattering and sort of like a very... Not in a bad way, but just like, whoa, you know, you think northern New Jersey, you think, you know, close to Manhattan, one of the greatest cities in the, you know, in the whole planet. And then, wow, out in Smith Island where it's like, you feel like you're at the edge of the earth almost, I would imagine. That's kind well, of the a- saying is uh, it's it's not the end of the world, but we can see it from here. <laughs> and I always love that. And it's so true. Yeah. But it was um, – the interesting part is I found myself – I can't speak for others, but I had come from a, a background of the theater as a young girl. I worked in and out of New York and on Broadway, and it's packed. I mean, it's just people, people, people. And all my life, I've been around these huge populations. So when I was asked to go there, and they just leave their – you know, it's – perfectly safe there just totally different world that's something that you've got to get used to right that people don't kind of lock their doors everything's done on a on a handshake and they mean it i mean if they say it and they shake your hand they're going to do it i found it enchanting and i became literally enchanted and i think it gave me the words because while i was there i would go sit and watch the sunsets and i would speak to the people who are riding around on golf carts and i visited the co-op which is a very important part of the book because miss francis um fought for her people to have the right to pick crab legally by the state right. and that was quite a dispute way back when because they were just picking you know as they as they brought in the crabs in but uh it's there today it still serves everybody so the women can go in there and it is state sanctioned they can pick the crab and then they you know sell it to the restaurants and and to other concerns that want the lump so it's a fascinating uh way of life and there's being a being on smith or, or seeing anything that's like super cool you're like oh wow that's super cool but Covering the ground between, hey, that's super cool, and hey, I have to novelize this. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not something that like lots of people think things are cool. Not lots of people turn them into novels. So, what what was what got you what you, what got you up and writing from your experience there? Well, my passion, uh, my first book was not at all about the Chesapeake. It was about something totally different because I like to take issues and then make them novels and then and still teach people about things. But the first issue that came to mind was in the tale of Dickie Short, and that concerns the overdevelopment of the Eastern Shore and what's happening here. And it's it's good on one hand because it has saved the small town, such as the one that we're in in Berlin. Mm-hmm. It has saved that, and 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 um, challenge. You know, the challenges are being met. But on the other hand, they're losing things with that as well. So to try and blend these. Um, things were happening, and I said, somebody has to speak for these people. Now, to this old waterman named Dickie Short, I paired him with a young uh, cub reporter for the Baltimore Sun who had just graduated from Harvard. And, of course, they all have stories you see under, under, right. underlying this. But they, um, he came down here to find out what was going on and what this old man was yelling and screaming through letters he would write all the time. Right. And what he found... Uh, 
it, it profoundly affected him. And so you have to read the book to see what happens mm. to Tug Alston and Dickie Shore and that whole group. Well, I guess then the, the question that I ought to have asked is, what got you up and writing in the first place? So this is this is you you were already you were already you had already published a book once you once you once you did this one. So when you decided to publish your first book, how did you cover that space? Well, my first uh, book was actually a suspense, and so you really had to and and you'll laugh when I'm saying this, but you really had to remember and be mindful of what you're doing mm-hmm. so that you can actually solve the mystery and we, the suspense. We had a suspense <laughs> right on a couple of weeks ago. Who's Kim Cash. Kim Cash. Yeah. Uh, whose name isn't made up? She was the first one I ever accused of having a made up name. But oh. it- yeah, he's like, so that's got to be a pen name. She's like, no, that's my actual <laughs> name. Uh, and Tony was like, oh, okay. Yeah, um, so. But uh, so so in suspense, you do you have to you have to plot it all out and and as you said, solve the mystery as you go, and then you moved from suspense to. Well, the Eastwood affair was special for me because I had come through a decade of extraordinarily serious health issues. And so when when are we talking? Just put me in time. I would say my 50s. Today I'm in my 60s and we'll stop at that. A a decade ish ago. (laughs) Yeah, right. And so I had a stroke. And uh, as one of the issues, and I was mentally, uh, I had lost a lot of my memory. And my, my daughter, actually, and my children said, you know, you've wanted to write all your life. I would suggest you. I said, how can I do this? I can't right. remember. And so they, you know, my daughter worked with me for a long time, and she said, you can do this. So I started putting it on paper, and as I exercised, and you do mental things as well, I realized it was all coming back. And so that's what really got me starting, Tony. You know, that's what got the the juices flowing. But I was a late-in-life writer, even though I had done newsletters and I had done other things that had been published, you know, before. This was real novel writing. And Mm -hmm. when, uh, of course, when I decided to move on, I decided to do The Chesapeake because it's my absolute love. So there are three books, and I never meant there to be uh, a second or a third, but the trilogy seems to be where now I'm kind of done doing that format as far as novels. It might be articles for a paper or doing things because I have a great many friends here. So I have my winter friends and I have my, uh, my home friends. And their characters, every one of them has their own way of thinking, and they're a great I, – I mean, I admire the Eastern Shore. And now it's going to blend. It's going to blend with all the retirees coming down and living in Delaware and all the people from Philadelphia and, and Baltimore and Washington. So it's going to undergo a tremendous – it already is a right, tremendous yeah, change. Absolutely. Yeah, and so moving from um, the island where you sort of sequestered yourself on to Smith mm-hmm. Island and wrote that, and then now your most recent one is more about the agricultural side of what's happening here? Right. You can't tell the story of the Eastern Shore uh, coming from uh, the time of the 1600s to today without telling the story of the farmers because the farms are – they are vast and they are huge and they are a big, huge Absolutely. part of Delmarva. Absolutely. And many of it, and many and most of the farms revolve around the chicken, whether it's part Purdue or other companies that have come in over the years. The chicken is what keeps Delmarva hopping. Uh, or clucking, as I right. like to say, because the farmers plant the corn, the soy, the soybeans, the sorghum, everything that 
supports the infrastructure. And in that, there are dilemmas as well. The farmers are moving in a very different direction today. Their young people are not wanting to leave the farms, but because of regulations and some of the things we have to get sorted out here, um, you know, it's a challenge. It is a great challenge. Mm. Um, so in the, the most recent one is The Dream Lives On. So mm-hmm. what was the story that grabbed you within the agricultural piece that kind of pushed this new one out for you? Well, I'm always looking for the what ifs. What if this happened? Oh. What if that happened? Oh, gosh, yeah. And I do that in all my books. And uh, there are maybe four main, three to four main characters. And then there's always a quirky calendar or a character. And this one was Buster Talbot. And he's an old farmer who owns four farms. And he starts hearing echoes of what someone in Washington wants to do with the farms. And it's rather sinister. And then as I thought about it, I thought, well, I'm going to write that story. And as I wrote it, it was a story of a, a, a politician run amok. Of course, we know that never happens. Mm. But <laughs> they run amok, and they decide they're going to make their retirement money big time on the farms of the Eastern Shore by selling them out to people to grow cannabis. And uh, for medicinal purposes, of course. That's sure. how it is started in every state. And then, of course, it leads to a f- much more. But it it's really funny because I really do. You know, I have this sort of weird habit of writing these books and then have people say to me, you're closer than what you think. And I say, oh, God, forbid. <laughs> but um, it could happen. It could, but the farmers here are family-based. I don't think they're going to want to do that between the truck produce that they do and the infrastructural, uh, you know, feed associated with the chicken. I, I think it would be hard pressed, but it was a, it's a great premise. Well, I, yeah. I, and I don't think I don't know if it's that far off. Only only because sometimes, uh, especially before a crop gets too overregulated, you can get out from under the big. Mm-hmm. One of the one of the concerns about uh, about pot for a long time is that the seeds are so like it's not like tobacco where it's really hard to grow it if you get a hand on a seed. So getting getting the seeds for them, I don't think is going to be an issue. But the question that I was going to ask, which I guess you've kind of answered, is this book starts when and ends when? So this is takes place in now. Uh, this is in the present. Uh, most of my books are sort of in the present, and you don't have to necessarily read one to understand. Okay. I try to bring them all to you up to date right from the get go. But there are characters in the Dream Lives On that were started in the Island Woman, but it won't make any difference because it concerns again the teaming of a very strong uh, of strong women with even stronger men in the background you know so i just i like that dynamic i like to use women as the heroines kind of um and you i'm sorry you had mentioned john smith earlier did you have you done have you done anything back that far or does that just influence what you're writing today the history influences what i do and i really really try to educate people and as i said i do a lot of public speaking and when i speak in new york i have brought them into this land where many of them have come down and visited Delmarva. And I always say, you can visit it, but please go home. Don't Uh, come to stay. Everybody can't live by the water, you know. I interviewed a guy uh, who was working for the county when I first started here, and he said, everyone who drives across the Bay Bridge thinks it should be burned down the minute they get across it. And that's that's kind of a... a well, I bring that out in Dickie Shore. <laughs> the expressions of way back when and what they thought of the Eastern Shore. And you know it's very funny. Now, your generations, you know, beyond that, 
people don't forget. Those right. stories have stayed with the people, and there's a bitterness about that. And it's really odd because now the Eastern Shore has become the playground because it's only in Maryland, there's only one seaside resort, and that's Ocean right. City. So they dare not speak too badly of it. They, you know, but it's it's an interesting uh, thing that goes on, and you know, everybody changes their opinions once they get across that bridge, yeah. and well, they see the beauty of it. Yeah, and I think I can sort of speak as a native daughter. I mean, I was born and raised, you know, Delmarva. You know, my family goes back to the 1639 mm-hmm. on the eastern shore. You're who I originally. write about. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> you know, um, I actually, when you're talking about Jamestown, you know, I, I've actually trained on my mother's side all the way back to a guy that just appears on the eastern shore of Virginia like 1639 a guy named Griffith or Griffin Savage and then from him you know all the way down and then like you know like 300 years later hello here's me you know so I sort of feel like you know like a native daughter and so you know I understand a lot of these things of you know how people can they want to come here and and they see all these things and there's there's kind of a complexity we don't forget. Sometimes people will even say we're a little clannish, not with a capital K, with a, with a little right. C. Um, you know, but that we, and I think, you know, our isolation, you, you know, mm-hmm. for a long time, you know, we didn't, you know, before the bridge and before the, the, the tunnel system, before the canal. I mean, we, we sort of were isolated here. And I think that sort of, there's a stubbornness that kind of gets passed down, you know. Well, I love this statement, slower, lower. Lower, You know, and that's such, and I always correct people. I say, don't ever say that down there. Because it's not nice. I mean, it's kind of a wonderful thing to go a little slower in life compared to New York and Jersey. Yeah, I don't think they're talking about speed. (laughs) (laughs) No. Certainly when I say we're not talking about speed. (laughs) It's a wonderful, wonderful group of people. And I think that we've been, they've been asked... To adjust to a great deal. And I think they're doing an admirable job. I really do. It's hard to watch your land get built up, to see uh, cultures changing. And the city culture is very different. So there's, there, there are clashes in all of that. And you see that and hear that all the time in the politics. Yeah. I mean, and, my, one of my family farms was, um, uh, my, on my grandmother's side, one of our family farms was purchased and they made a big... Uh, ocean pines not ocean pines but an ocean pines like community on it so every time i drive by i see all these like houses sprung up i'm like yeah it used to be used to be a farm how do you feel about that for me there is um it's kind of a bittersweet thing um but there's mostly just sort of a sadness to it but you know i mean it it was that that transaction happened long before i ever even you know Mm -hmm. knew anything about it but every time i drive down you know the greenbackville way and i see you know captain's cove i always kind of look over i'm like well you know the first first spot of land used to be my you know well i lived here i lived in salisbury and back in the 70s and even back then it was all country i mean bethany beach was just a little teeny little four-store kind of place today it's just a burgeoning industry which goes into Fenwick, which goes up to Rehoboth. And Rehoboth was just a small seaside community. And today it's big business. And that Route 1 is just hateful. <laughs> I was, uh, recently I was, t- oh, I was taking my, uh, I was taking my boss up to, uh, to Seaford and we took mm-hmm. what they refer to as Old 13. And, that, and I yeah. said to her, I said, you know, this used to be the the sailors would come here on their way to Norfolk, and, it, and this is all there was. And it wasn't 
and we're out in the country already. I'm like, and it wasn't as built up as it as it is now. It was just a just a two lane, and I couldn't imagine what it was like. Even yeah, in I mean, the that's 70s. when you have like old Ocean City Road before, right. like yeah. you know, right. like you know, there were people in my family that you know sure. remember fifty being built. Remember, you know, the Bay Bridge is being built and all that sort of stuff. So it's it's kind of you know, well, you get a real dose of it when you have been here before or lived here as a, you know a young person, and all you need to do is to drive south from Dover yeah. to Salis through Salisbury. You got to go through Salisbury, and you realize how crowded it is on that corridor because it's seven miles and then a backup, seven miles and right. a backup. Because I have counted how many it's always seven miles, and then you can see the traffic backing up. And if you go between three thirty and six, just you just need patience. Go to the bathroom before right. you before you start. Right. So one of the things um, we sort of always like to talk about with our authors is um, how do you promote your books? How do you get them out of How do you get them in the hands of people? What are some of the different things that you do? What are some of the kind of the positive experiences you've had? How are you... Uh well, I'm a marketer by by trade, okay. and so uh, I mean I've been selling myself uh, in one way or another since I was a, a young a young gal. So I I uh, approach libraries. So I do a lot of speaking there, and you know you can they thank you by uh, you know you can sell your books there. Right. I do a lot of uh, work on social media, so people know me all over. You know, so they know if I have another book, it's probably going to be somewhat based on the Eastern. Sure, and I do a lot of correspondence. I like to meet my readers. I never, I don't ever have dreams of being the number one New York Times bestseller. But I do hope that what I have done has affected people. They've thought about things. They've laughed. They've cried. They've gone through the experience of life, which is it's not just women I write about. It's men too. It's relationships. It's all of us. So I kind of really get out there by that. I wish I. I could spend more time, but I have children and grandchildren, so I have to kind of tend them every once in a every, while. Every once in a while, yeah. Right. So you also wanted to talk about the, some of the some of the work you do with the Eastern Shore Writers Association. Yes, that's an important part of my life. I have uh, about twelve years ago, I went to the first um, conference, which was the Beta Ocean Conference, and back then it was just kind of a small conference, right. and the growth in that has been amazing. A couple, maybe two, three years in, I asked if there was a way I could volunteer. Now living in New York, I miss a lot, you know, from but I come through the eastern shore a lot so all of a sudden fate played into my hands and they wanted someone to take over the newsletter oh, okay. and so i said well i can do that you know i can do right. that from as long as people send me stuff and what that did was a really great experience because i got out i have personally gone to all the bookstore owners i mean i get around i meet people so that i'm helping them they're helping me. It's a two-way street. But in the meantime, we're all helping the Eastern Shore Writers Association. So I've been heavily involved with the newsletter. I put one out. It goes out now to about 2,000 people. And our goal was when I took it over, it was a rather, albeit small, you know, sort of one, it came in, you know, in your inbox and it was one sheet. Today it's 17 or 18 pages. And we've accomplished my goal of going to all corners of the Eastern Shore 
including into Virginia somewhat and up to Wilmington. Oh, wow. So it's a huge space. And we have the conference every uh, the second, we moved it to the second weekend in March, and if you're a writer out there and you hear this, a writer, a poet, an appreciator of literature, you don't have to write to come. Uh, it's always sold out. It's an incredible experience, and you get to meet some really top-rate writers and they teach sessions all day so and you can interact i mean they're very it's very homey it's very friendly it's held at chesapeake college and uh, i do all the manuscript reviewing uh and coordinating so we have professional people that range from pulitzer prize winning uh poets to uh, award-winning novelists and for a fee you can send your manuscript i get it i kind of go over it and then i match it with the right reviewer Mm -hmm. so you get 30 minutes with somebody oh wow they hand you a a written review as well as an oral review and it's been an incredible success and it's very good for the writer i mean you get some honest feedback if your skin's a little thin it can be very difficult, yeah. you know. Right. Well, I mean, that's a pretty cool premise. I didn't know that they did that. Now, the, that's um, Chesapeake College in, in Wine Mills? Mm-hmm. In Wine Mills. Wine Mill area. Yeah. Right. And if you go to baytoocean.com, that's the website. It goes up and active October 1st, which is only mm, a week away. But the organization itself provides seminars, educational programs for writers. We invite speakers from all walks of life, whether it's journalism or yourself and what you're involved in here. And so we hope to continue to grow it. It's really getting quite interesting how much it has grown. And through that, I'm hoping to go back to my own hometown of Rochester, New York, and bring a conference there because I've been involved with it for years. So hopefully there'll be that wonderful connection now. Right, and you figure out how to do it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, we, we do we do beer festivals and that's that's after a while you're like okay and at least you get a sense. I mean there's always the last minute crisis, but at least you get a sense of what the crisis is going to look like. <laughs> Absolutely and and after I've been involved with it for so many years and you can change it around. Some of it might not work in one city that works in another so you can kind of move it around and do, you know, do what the associations up there want to do. So it'll be fun to see how this flies. Well, fantastic. Very cool. We're going to take a, a little a little time now to to say thank you to our readers because we had we we got fan mail. Um for those of you who are listening for the first time, uh, one of the things that we that we started last time we were together and and it worked out it worked out kind of cool is uh, we told that uh, we told them that if they sent us a word we would put it in a limerick or a haiku and send it back to them in a uh, yeah so they just had to email us at podcast at saltwatermedia.com and uh, we, we I mean we love hearing from people I mean as you know you say you like connecting with your readers and it's so fun, yeah. you know sometimes Tony and I have wondered if we were doing this podcast in a vacuum and then all of a sudden we were like hey here's an email you know we started getting a little bit of fan mail and I was like hey Tony we got fan mail and he was like this is awesome so his head got even yeah, bigger it's you're amazing. Out. Uh, now you're out now, now we're out, out there. there so we actually got a couple of responses that I can actually uh, read if that's yeah, okay want to read them on there yeah absolutely so the first one we got was from uh, our good buddy, Jeff Smith, and he said, I just, well, he said a bunch of stuff, but the important part is, I just listened to the latest podcast, and I really just want my postcard. The show is still as great as ever, even if it is just you trying to get a word in around Tony. <laughs> uh, so thanks, Jeff. And 
Uh, I don't. I think we picked the word we, yeast. We selected. I, I said open a dictionary, and she opened actually. I think it was that was my your book. book. Yeah. I opened your book, <laughs> and he oh, said just wonderful. open. He said open a dictionary and point to a word. So I didn't have a dictionary. The closest thing I had at hand, strangely enough, was Tony's book. So I flip open his beer book, and I just like yeast. flip to a page and just stuck close my eyes and stuck my finger, and I opened my. I opened my eyes and I looked down. I'm like, oh, I'm pointing to the word yeast. So, uh, Jeff. Easy did, to rhyme. So easy to rhyme that I didn't rhyme it. I picked something else, I think. So, Tony did a limerick about yeast and I did a haiku about yeast. And we put them Jeff. on a, we put them on a postcard and we will mail them till you get actual, actual mail from the mailman if you, yeah. if you write <laughs> into us, which is something kind of rare. Yeah. And so then, then we had someone else write in. Uh, Rob Cheek wrote, hey, I listened. Send me my damn postcard. <laughs> and so we chose Dam for his word. Yeah, so we picked Dam. So uh, Tony did a limerick about Dam, and I did a haiku about Dam. And he also writes, just kidding, guys. Love the podcast, and I'd love to get a signed postcard from both of you. I find it immensely interesting to hear from other local authors about their successes and struggles. Keep it up. Robert Cheek from Maryland. Yay. So that was pretty cool. And uh, this one came in from Christopher Rank. Hi, Steph and Tony. Yep, that was me who tweeted about y'all from Delmarva Public Radio. I do love what you guys are doing, and I'm on a mission to promote and encourage more local podcasting. And then he asked about uh, what kind of uh, mics we were using. So apparently, uh, I guess I hit a home run on that one. So, And he wrote, anyway, my submission for the haiku limerick challenge is the word hectotome. Hecatome. It's tome. Okay. T-O-M-E. So you say it. Hecatome. Hecatome. Wow. And he says, a hecatome is 100 head of cattle sacrificed to a god in ancient Greece. They're always sacrificing a hecatome in the Iliad whenever they go off to fight for good luck or something like that. Maybe they just like steaks. Cheers, Chris Rank. So he got a haiku and a limerick with hecatome in them. So Absolutely. Uh, yeah, so that was pretty fun. Uh, they were fun to do, fun to write. It and was. Wordsmithing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, if anybody out there is listening to Bonnie's podcast, if you just send us, uh, you can either snail mail us or if you just want to do it quickly, we are podcast at saltwatermedia.com and we will write you a haiku and a limerick and put it in the mail and s- that's what we're going to do. And that's it. And we didn't sign any of them. I, 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 no, I don't you know. put the R. You, Did I? Yeah, you put oh, an okay. R. I mean, I signed mine, but you put an R. That's oh. Actually, that's a TR because my name. Oh, it just looks like an R. I know, but if you see, it's a T. I'll show you later. And okay. actually, it, it's the same as the, the folks that do the, uh, the uh, Templeton Rye kind of stole my kind of stole my little insignia. I hope they... Uh, you should have trademarked it, and then you could have yeah. could have been somebody at that I, I point. To, I, you could have been a player. It, it could have been a contender, Tony. <laughs> but, I did, but I didn't make it. Um, all right, and so how can we find you socially? You can find me socially at www.annagill.com, and my books can be found on electronic e-readers or at Amazon.com or from your local stores. You can go and ask them to order them if they don't have them. Sounds good. Very cool. All right. Now, Stephanie, this is the part of the show where you thank the guest. Thank you very much, Bonnie, a.k.a. Anna Gill, for thanks for being here. Thank you so much, both of you. So What's Your Story was recorded at Saltwater Media, an indie book publisher in Berlin, Maryland. Want to hear more? Visit www.saltwatermedia.com and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or on Stitcher. Want other people to hear more? Give us a great review there. Tell your story.